This is Gilbert Andrew Garcia. Join me on my new radio show, A Tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer every Monday from 11 to 11.45 at 96.9 FM, 1360 AM, KWWJ. Or you can call in at 832-570-8075. Write me at a tip from Gilbert at gmail.com. See you then. Let that play, Mr. Producer, just a little bit. When you hear that song, you know it's Christmas, right? You know that's Christmas. And I'm going to talk a little bit. This is the original king. See, people think the king is Elvis. But, Mr. Producer, the king is Nat King Cole. That is the king. That voice just is like, it's just like, I don't know, marshmallows melting in a hot chocolate or, or something like that. Let's go ahead and fade out there, uh, Mr. Producer. So, ladies and gentlemen, you are back here with a tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer with me, Gilbert Andrew Garcia. We thank you. We're here every Monday from 11 to 11.45 on KWWJ. Keep walking with Jesus, as they say. 1360 AM, 96.9 FM. And you can call into the show. You know that because you call all the time. 832 570 8075 and you can call and tell us what song you want to hear and you can write us at a tip from gilbert at gmail.com and i have a very interesting guest for us this is mr bill fulton Do is, are you dr bill fulton or bill i'm, fulton? I'm not a doctor I'm, okay. just, I'm just a guy you're just a guy well you know that's when people someone says i'm not a doctor but i'm the doctor of love but no well not, not that either <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, well, Bill, I appreciate you being here. This is the Bill Fulton, the director of the Kinder Institute. And I wanted to have him here because the Kinder Institute does so much to really uh, educate us about what's going on in Houston. And I don't know exactly what the mission statement is, but I'll tell you what. It is, you know, if I had to write a mission statement, I'd say it's everything about studying Houston. So what's the mission statement or what, what's really do you say when someone says, what does the Kinder Institute do? Well, what we try to do is is do research and policy analysis to inform decisions uh, made by elected officials and nonprofits and philanthropies. Do all that to, so that Houston will be a better place and the people who live here will live better lives. Well, I've seen your work and you know what? It's true and it helps. So you are mission accomplished. And hats off to the Kinders, Rich and Nancy Kinder, because yes. I guess they fund this, right? Uh, not entirely. The, the, the Kinders uh, endowed, the, provided an endowment to the Institute uh, in 2010, primarily to sustain uh, Steve Kleinberg's Houston Area Survey, which is 40 years old now. Um, uh, we do have to f raise other money uh, uh, to keep some of our operations going. They don't fund all of it, but I they've see. been very, very generous. They're fantastic. And, you know, I had the pleasure of working with Nancy Kinder during Mayor Parker when she first won the, the transition to the new administration. And what a team player. And when what she's just smarter than smart. She's just wonderful. Yeah, she is. Well, let me ask you this. Let's talk about Stephen Kleinberg because some of our listeners may not know Stephen Kleinberg, but I guess the best way I can describe him is somewhere when he was a young lad, uh, he decided to have this project, and he did a survey of Houston and Houstonians and what they thought were the issues of Houston, the problems of Houston, the great things about Houston, where they're going, how do they feel about society and life and every, everything else. And all of a sudden, it's morphed into this treasure 
of monitoring this incredible city that we call Houston. Tell us about that. That's right. Steve Kleinberg was a sociology professor at Rice, um, and in 1982, that's almost 40 years ago, he decided for a class project to do a survey of Houston area residents. Was he the professor of the class? Yes. He so he the, used, I guess, the original survey people, his class, his, his students? Oh, he had um, his students used the called the called the people up. No one kidding. One of his first students in his first class who called people up was Lisa Gray. From the uh, from the formerly from formerly with the Chronicle. Oh, yeah. how great! Isn't that something? That is. And something. so, so uh, he said, "Okay, we're gonna. This is a class project. We're gonna do it once." That was 1982. Then the oil crash came, the famous 80s oil crash, and he said, "Oh no, we got to do this again." And he's continued to do it for 40 years, supported by the Kinder's Endowment since 2010. Uh, Steve will be retiring uh, this uh, at the after the 2022 survey is done, uh, after 40 or 41 years of doing the survey. That's incredible. The incredible thing, though, about the survey is because it's been consistently done by the sort of the same, I don't know, the same group or the same person right. uh, on top of it, you know, do, you know, conducting it, it really is a snapshot of this historical significance of the people of Houston. What have we kind of learned over time about how people feel of Houston? And what are some of the key things that you think of? Well, I think the biggest thing, and Steve has been great at articulating this to audiences all over town, is that Houston really is probably the most diverse large city in America. There are, <clears throat> there are uh, a wide variety of ethnicities. Uh, whites, blacks, Asians, Latinos are all heavily represented. Uh, there's lots of uh, subgroups there, uh, all working together to make, in a melting pot, to make Houston one of the really great cities of America. That's the thing that Steve, as, as he likes to say, uh, 40 years ago when he started, this was a uh, a pretty traditional city run by white men with a with a white-black uh, thing going on. And now it's a very, very diverse city and a huge agglomeration of people from all over the world, really, coming together to make a great city. Very interesting. Well, some people still think it's run by white men, but, but you, know, <laughs> we, 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 you know, that's what some people think. Uh, but going back for a second, though, there's no doubt the numbers, though, have changed. The numbers have changed. And, and there's an old saying, remember the, 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 the great hymn, you know, we shall overcome, well, we shall overwhelm when you think about the numbers of the Hispanic community and the African-American community yes. as a whole. Because do you re do you know the numbers at all? Like where yeah. were the de demographics between African-American, Hispanic, and white back 40 years ago and versus today? Uh, 40 years ago, whites were the majority of the population. In the last 40 years, the number of white people in Houston has not gone up. It stayed the same. The number, the absolute of, number, the, yeah, the absolute okay. number. The absolute number of African Americans has risen more or less in in proportion to the entire population. Uh, the the number of, of of Hispanics and Asians has grown a lot to the point where Hispanics are now the predominant ethnic group in Houston with more than 40% of the population. So if you assume the Hispanic population, I'm going to throw a number what I've heard. I don't, you know, and where do I know? But what I was told, right around 45%. Some 40, 40-45%. So let's say it's 45. The African-American population is what? About, for in the city, it's about 25%. About 25. So that's 45, 50, 60, 70. So you figure... Um, the Anglo population, the white about, Caucasian, about is 20, 25, 20, 25, and five in, is and five or ten Asians are five or ten percent in in the city of Houston. Very, very interesting. You know, um, I have many other questions for you, but I um, happened to have taken a trip to El Salvador the other day, and I really mean the other day, like a week or so ago. And what was very interesting to me 
is when you think about outside sort of Mexican and Mexican-Americans, and I'm of Mexican-American descent, so we're Latinos, um, you think of the Asian community being the sort of the next largest. I was very surprised to see that the El Salvadorian population is probably twice the size as the Vietnamese population. If, if I'm not mistaken, after Mexican, they're the second largest. That, that, could, that could be the number of Central Americans has grown dramatically uh, in Houston in the last few years, the last 20 years. And of course, demographically, they get lumped in with, with Mexican Americans right. as being Hispanic. It is true that that, that overall group, Hispanics, is, m- is much, much bigger than the Asian group. Although the Vietnamese, I will say, uh, I was surprised to learn this. I moved here from California. Houston has the largest Vietnamese population in the U.S. outside of California. I didn't know that, and and they've made a real impression. So all these different groups are making a real impression here in Houston, and all, like I say, as Steve Kleinberg would say, working together to make a great city. Well, that is fantastic. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I know that y'all put out research um, reports all the time because uh, I get that. And by the way, I want to give you the, a, a plug for the Institute all the time here. How If somebody wanted to sign up to get your research where how would they do that they just go to the website rice uh, i'm sorry kinder.rice.edu and there'll be a place there where you can click and sign up for the newsletter and so one of the things i saw was the whole concept of um you know gentrification in houston Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that and what's happening in the traditional minority communities right well well what's happening in the particularly the traditionally african-american neighborhoods Third Ward and Fifth Ward being the most obvious examples, is that you are seeing uh, land prices go up. You are, particularly in the Third Ward, you are seeing uh, uh, townhomes being built that the traditional population who's lived in those those neighborhoods can't afford. Uh, and you and then you see people who are different from the traditional population moving in. That's true in most of the. Uh, historically African-American neighborhoods in Houston. It's especially true in the Third Ward, which is sort of the flashpoint for gentrification. But you also see it happening in the Fifth Ward to a certain extent. You even see it happening in Acres Home. I want to come back to that because I want to see if we can pinpoint, or I don't know the right word to say here, why or how in a second. But I know we have Pastor Perry. Pastor Perry, can you uh, hear me there, Pastor? Yes, sir. I can hear you loud and clear here. Good morning to you. Well, Pastor Perry, you have me, Gilbert Garcia, with a tip from Gilbert, Talk, Inspiration, and Prayer. And I have with me Mr. Bill Fulton, the director of the Kinder Institute. And I was just mentioning, uh, Pastor, just about all the great things that um, you do at your church, especially this past weekend. I had the pleasure to be there with you, uh, Mr. Eric Boutet and his lovely wife, uh, Regina, and others, as we did sort of a food giveaway, and the whole community came out Saturday. Uh, Tell us about that. Yes, yes, we'll be honored and blessed. Uh, uh, Thank you again for asking me to come come on your show this morning. Yeah, it was good to to meet you and and to see you all out uh, Saturday. That function actually... Uh, myself and uh, Pastor J.T. Phillips of All Nation partner with us uh, with the Heron uh, uh, Family uh, Foundation. But we was able to bless the community, uh, not only with food, uh, but we was able to give away gift bags and, and gift certificates. Uh, uh, we was able to give away blankets, coats, sweaters, uh, things like that, and have things for the children, as well as to sit down and feed about three to 400 people. You well, understand? So 
it, it was just a, a array of things that we was able to do, uh, you know, through the grace of God. Well, but, let me ask you this, Pastor. How are things going mm-hmm. there at the church? How are people holding up during this crazy inflation time, this crazy, I mean, food is expensive, everything's expensive, and all this COVID. How are we holding up there, Pastor? Well, it, it, it is trying times. Uh, let's, let's be honest, it's trying times. And really, uh, the teaching and, and our structure is our motto is word led and word fed. And basically what that means, give it is, you have to walk by faith and not by sight. Not just what you see in all the calamities. Look at just what happened uh, this past weekend in our neighboring states. So many people are suffering. Our hearts goes out to them that not only lost uh, lives, but uh, personal belongings and materials and things from the devastation of the tornado. So we see it. We, we, we see it every day. Okay. That's where you have to truly exercise your faith in God. Yes, sir. Well, amen to that. And, you know, I got to tell you, Pastor, I'm going to ask you to say a church for all of us in Houston. And when there are these times, I'm going to just say, Pastor, sometimes it's hard to have faith or your faith gets, I don't know, what's the right word? Question, you start doubting. You start doubting. Yeah, it gets tested. It gets tested. But, but, you know, basically what what I come to find out, Brother Gilbert, we all have something uh, what God gives us is what you call remembrance you can you can reflect back on you understand where how you was brought out from something else before and sometimes just with the aid of the holy ghost and when you are truly in prayer when you pray to god say god help and god will bring something back to your memory that's why he told joshua them put up 12 stones as a memorial uh, a memorial to remember where i brought you all out where I, where I crossed you over the jordan you understand? So that's what you have to rely on sometimes is just kind of remember when it was tough before. Well, I appreciate that. Well, Pastor, would you say a prayer for us there? I'd really appreciate it. Oh, yes, sir. Well, I'd be honored to always want to go to the throne of grace. Gracious Father, truly, Lord, right now, Lord, we, we come to your throne of grace where you say we can come boldly and there we can obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. And we truly need your grace. Lord, and we know what your grace is. Your grace is your favor. Lord, your grace is your blessing. Your grace is your benefits, your protections, your provisions, Lord. So, Lord, we in a time. Now, we're living in perilous times. It looks like it's tragedies and calamities just happening uh, not only here in the uh, great city of Houston and this great state of Texas, but just everywhere worldwide, Lord. So, Lord, we ask him that you stay your hand, that you keep your hands up on us, Lord. We look to the hill, which come at our help, and our help comes from the Lord. Lord, then we just mindful, Lord. Lord, what you said in your word, you, where you say, for this is the day that the Lord has made, and you say, let us rejoice and be glad in it. So let us just be thankful. We're in a season of thanksgiving, Lord, for every day is a precious name. So, Lord, we just want to give you thanks today, Lord. And then our heart and our prayers goes out to the ones that's, that's in loss, the ones that's in mourning right now, Lord. Lord, but we know that that, that heaven, that earth loss is something that heaven gained, Lord. So with that, Lord, our heart and our prayers go out there. And continue to bless this city and continue to bless this host. 
of this radio station and bless the radio station. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Pastor Perry, thank you very, very much. We're going to sign off with you, but I'm, I'm hugging you on the phone okay. right now in cyberspace. Okay. So thank you, Pastor. All right. we'll, we'll be talking soon. God bless you. Yes, yeah? sir. Okay, yes, sir. You. All right. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we're back here with Mr. Bill Fulton. So, Bill, let's go back. So gentrification, you know, from the just everyday people, they say, I just can't afford to live here anymore. I don't know. Is there a solution for that? How can we build more modern income housing or, or something? Right. I, it's a it's a tough problem because you you do want investment in these neighborhoods, right? These neighborhoods right. have not been invested in over the over the decades, uh, but you don't want to displace people in the process. Uh, figuring out how to fix that problem is not easy. So one of the things we are beginning to look at is for homeowners who get, you know, sometimes it's homeowners who get pushed out because property taxes mm-hmm. go up. So one of the things we're looking at is the possibility of, is it possible in gentrifying neighborhoods for longtime homeowners to get a property tax relief or property tax abatements or something like that so that they, uh, that's really the biggest impediment for them for staying in the na- from staying in the neighborhood. For renters, they get, they get pushed out much more easily. Mm-hmm. And I think what has to happen is that a combination of uh, players. Uh, clearly, there has to be some moderate income housing built that is not subject to typical market pressures. Mm-hmm. Um, because what's happening, say, in the third ward is, you know, a, a single, long-time single-family homes are getting torn down, replaced by townhomes that cost half a million bucks. Nobody in the neighborhood can afford to buy or live in one of those townhomes. So what you have to do is figure out how to work, how the nonprofit and philanthropic and, and institutional communities, including churches, can work together to try to figure out how to, how to make housing available to people who've lived in the neighborhood for a long time uh, without without them being subject to market pressure. So, for example, uh, who are some of the biggest land landowners in some of these neighborhoods? Well, it's the churches, right? And so one possibility is for the churches to work together with others to allow some of that land to be used to build mm-hmm. housing uh, uh, w- without uh, the speculative pressure of, of land becoming so expensive. Well, when you look, I, I read an article the other day about um, these agreements that the city does where these companies and developers get these abatements for 10, 20 years. Abatements means they don't have to pay any taxes. That's right. I mean, why shouldn't there be a, for every one of those done, there's something for the inner city for people who've lived there for a long time, some abatement for them. Well, I think... I mean, how how do you balance something like that? I think there's two possibilities. One is, as I said, longtime homeowners in these neighborhoods who are under pressure uh, could... I think there might be a way to give them property tax relief or property tax abatements in some way. The other thing the city hasn't done is said is said to uh, these businesses and companies and developers, okay, if we give you a subsidy, let's go. Yep. We, the city has not said we want affordable housing in return. Uh, that's something that's typically done elsewhere. Um, Houston. Uh, has not done that. One possibility would be to say, okay, we'll subsidize your development. You know, the city can't re- can't require a developer to pr- to set aside affordable housing for two reasons. One, the city doesn't have any zoning. The second is th- that that um, uh, housing affordable housing set aside in exchange for approvals is illegal in Texas. Mm. It's not allowed. But if you subsidize a developer. 
as as for example the city has subsidized um, downtown uh, residential development you could demand in return that a portion of those units be affordable to, to moderate income people and that's entirely something that that is something that would be within the city's control it seems to me like a layup to do something like that well you would think so um, it's not it's not the custom. It's not what has always been done. But we haven't seen this kind of gentrification pressure before. Well, like anything else, when someone says, well, it's because it's never been done, that typically means it should be done. <laughs> because, you know, you need some new ideas and new people in there to say, wait a minute, what do we need to do here for this city? Well, let me ask you this. I know you all have done a lot of work studying homelessness yeah, and homeless and the whole issue. What do you think are some of the issues, the deep rooted issues around homelessness and what can we do? Do we have a caller there, producer? I think we have a caller there. Let's let's see what that caller's name is. So hold that thought on homelessness. We have a caller from Mor uh, Morgan. Is there a Morgan on the line? Yes. Hello, Gilbert. Good morning. Good morning. You have me, a tip from Gilbert, and you have Mr. Bill Fulton from the Kinder Institute. Do you have a question for either me or Bill? Um, not a question so much, but I was just saying I'm I'm a first time home buyer. I've been looking for about two years now, and I agree with everything you'll say. It's getting harder and harder to find a home and affordable homes and places to live. And it's just I, I've been loving hearing what y'all have had to say. Well, so what is your solution? What have you been doing then? Did you find something, or are you renting? No, I'm renting. I'm, I'm apartments seem to just be until you're you find where you want to be. It's, the solution right now but i have so many friends looking for homes at the time and i mean it's multiple offer situations and it's just getting harder and harder to find affordable housing inside the city well miss morgan how's the rent market to you i mean was it easy to rent is do you feel your rent's going up or where are you on that it's definitely going up every year um but if you want to be in a certain area you just kind of have to get used to paying more and more it's getting you're going to have to go further and further outside of the city to find an affordable place to live. And and how come you've made your choice to not go further out? Um, you know, being being younger in town, you kind of want to be close to the heart of everything, close to work, close to family, close to friends, close to bars and fun restaurants. So just something you kind of have to swallow and accept right now, but... Well, very good. Well, Morgan, we thank you for calling. You're here with me, Gilbert Garcia. Tip from me, Talk Inspiration Prayer. Please call again. Thank you. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. You too. So, Bill, what about homelessness? And, you know, you hear people say things like, and you hear everything from, well, these are veterans and they have, you know, mental illnesses from having served. You hear things from, well, oh, they're on drugs and, you know, and then you hear things like, well, they were one check away and their check went away and that's all they can be. And then you have really, in my opinion, I don't know, I don't want to say it's silliness, but skepticism. People say, well, they want to be homeless. So what do you really see out there when you really look at the issue? Well, I think if I correctly uh, identified some of the subgroups, one of the things Houston has done well, and I give Mayor Parker a lot of credit for this, is figuring out how to house homeless vets. Homeless vets have, uh, you know, veterans generally have a lot of support services. They have the VA, and and they have more support services than the average person. You also they they also know they track the the people. So uh, the homeless veterans problem has actually diminished as a problem over the last ten years in Houston. Most formerly homeless vets are now housed. Um, uh, People who other people who have mental illness or addiction problems, uh, that's just a very deep-seated problem in society, which is 
which has been accelerated by the fact that a lot of the types of places that folks like that used to live, generally low-end, sometimes what's called SRO, single-room mm -hmm. occupancy hotels, have gone away. They've been torn down. The, the, the available housing for people that uh, in that group has been diminished dramatically. It is true, and I think this is one of the biggest problems that we see in this whole, in our whole society, but in Houston especially, is these folks, low-wage workers, service workers, who are in fact one check away. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most useful things we can do, this is hard to figure out how to do because it's hard to find those folks who are one check away, is is figure out how to how to help those folks before they become homeless. Uh, it's estimated that once somebody becomes homeless, let, let's say you have a homeless fa a family on the brink of homelessness, they lose their job, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they have a medical problem, car breaks down, you know, something like that. Um, it, the estimate is that once they fall into homelessness, it costs us hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to figure out how to get them a house again, uh, if you can assist them before they fall into homelessness, say they have a medical problem, their car breaks down, something like that, um, uh, you can, for a few hundred bucks, you can prevent them from falling into homelessness. So there's really different approaches for different groups. Boy, it sounds like, again, a no-brainer to get them before they're homeless. Yeah, it's, I mean, hard, it really it's hard to find them, though. So two things. One is the government is usually not going to provide that funding. That has to come from philanthropic funding, you know, Catholic charities, whatever. That's number one. And number two, you've got to find the folks who are about to fall into homelessness. They are not usually tracked the way uh, people in poverty are tracked, people in public housing are tracked, or, or, or uh, 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 even homeless people are tracked. So you know the average person living in a living in a private privately owned apartment has one or two low wage jobs. There's no reason that they would have interacted with the social services system. So there's no no reason no way for you to find them in advance unless they come to you. That's the big challenge mm -hmm. there. Well, let me ask you this: When you're uh, one of these philanthropic groups, you know you mentioned Catholic charities. Earlier, I mentioned the Kinders, and let's say you know the Gates Foundations and yeah. other things. Um, how do they sort through, you know, when you're there in a position of trying to help and you want to help and you have it in your DNA to help and you have the resources to help, there just seems to be so many different potential ways. How do they figure it out on how to make their dollar have $2 worth of help? I think the philanthropists... Uh, to be effective have to be very, very focused. So you mentioned the Kinders, the Kinders Endowed My Institute. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been very focused on three things, education, um, uh, uh, public space and parks, uh, and, and quality of life. The, they, when they decided to go big on philanthropy, they said, these are the three things that we care about. These are the three, three things we're going to do. And I think to be effective in philanthropy, you have to be very focused. And you have to, I guess, make sure, I don't know how to, to say this, but that your dollars are having a return. Yeah. you, you got to be on top of it to make sure you're accomplishing what you want. I think we have another caller here. Do we have a Matthew there on the phone? Yes, sir. Hi, how are you? Good. Matthew, you have me. This is Gilbert. A tip from me. Talk, inspiration, and prayer. And we have Mr. Bill Fulton again from the Kinder Institute. So talk to me, Matthew. What you got? Hi, Gilbert. Hi, Mr. Fulton. Um, I actually had a question for you, Mr. Fulton. Um, and I just wanted to kind of pick your brain here because I know you're an urban planner. So I wanted to know what you thought about um, in terms of the design of downtown Houston because 
I just moved closer downtown and I can find it sometimes confusing with all the one ways that we have. <laughs> I just hear your thoughts on it. Well, it's true that downtown Houston has a lot of one-way streets, and that can be very confusing, uh, whether you are uh, driving in a car or you are a pedestrian. It's not unusual for uh, downtowns to have a lot of one-way streets. However, there is a trend toward creating more two-way streets, partly to slow the traffic down so that pedestrians don't feel out of place. Mm. But another thing, of course, that happens in downtown Houston is that uh, is that a lot of the pedestrians use the tunnel system underneath. Mm-hmm. It's literally underneath where we are sitting. Uh, and and one of the difficult things that has one of the things that's been difficult is to encourage people who work downtown or live downtown to walk around on the street as opposed to down in the tunnel um, uh, to, to enliven street life. So I think there's a lot of things that Houston can do, is doing, uh, uh, to enliven downtown and make it less confusing. And in fact, the the central Houston, uh, which Mm -hmm. basically runs downtown, has a new director. Chris Larson just came from Hollywood uh, to replace the the longtime director, Bob Urey. Mm -hmm. And it'll be very interesting to see what ideas Chris brings to the the table, having worked in Hollywood and other places. Well, Matthew, let me ask you this. I assume you're still on there. So, Matthew, so when you're downtown— to get around, do you drive? Do you take the, the rail? Or what do you do there, my friend? No, I, I drive. I drive downtown and then just walk to work. But the drive itself, I mean, before uh, before I kind of figured it out, I didn't really know which streets to turn down or if I could. So that I just had to try and make my way around downtown and kind of figure it out. Do you think there's enough signage? You know, here's 45 this way, and here's I-10 that way. Do you have enough? Do you have enough signage there? <laughs> I think I think so. Yes, but when you first start off, it's a little overwhelming when you see all the different signs and you don't really know the streets yet. Well, very good. Well, Matthew, thank you very much for calling in, and please call in again. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, so, Bill, let's go back to uh, something that I did not talk to you about yet, which is the Astrodome. What are we going to do with this Astrodome? And, you know, sometimes I think to myself, golly, do are we still talking about the Astrodome? What are your thoughts as someone who appreciates historical significance of things, an urban planner? I mean, when you see the Astrodome, do you see an albatross or do you see potential? Both. Um, you know, the, the Astrodome is a very typical Houston urban story. In, instead of figuring out what to do with it, we simply sort, we sort of just threw it away. Yeah. Uh, and we built another stadium right next to it. And now it's 20 years later and it's sitting there rotting. It's actually very interesting to go inside and see the Astrodome all rolled up and the seats kind of still there. Um, I, I think it, 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 obviously whatever you do with it is going to cost money. Right. And so that's part of the problem. Even tearing it down would cost a lot of money. So what's the best best thing to do? I, I, I favor the idea of using the Astrodome as a lever to try to create a, a, a more of a sense of place in NRG Park. Um, you know, you've got not just the NRG Stadium and the rotting Astrodome, but you've also got obviously the rodeo grounds and you've got the NRG Conference Center. And it's all not not only is it available by car, but there's a rail stop right there. Mm-hmm. And I think if you reactivated the Astrodome, perhaps as some sort of big indoor 
park or recreation facility, which seems like the most logical thing to do. You could leverage that uh, with other improvements to NRG Park to make it a much more attractive place for people to go rather than just a stadium with a bunch of parking lots around it. Well, when you look at other stadiums in the country, not to get into the politics of stadiums, and I don't know those politics, but when you look at other stadiums and they build a new stadium, they typically just blow up the old stadium, don't they? Yes. Well, did anyone at the beginning when we built the new stadium say, (laughs) we need to blow up that stadium because everybody else does, or did we say at that time, let's keep it to do X, Y, Z with it? Or did we say, well, there's no money, let's just leave it and we'll let the other future handle it? Um, Letting it rot without tearing it down and doing something new is definitely not the norm. Okay. Yep. Uh, typically, what will happen is either before or after the new stadium is built, there'll be a whole redevelopment plan around where the old stadium was, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, the fact that the, the Astrodome is on that county property that NRG is on, I think, complicated factors because the county didn't want to, you know, there was a, uh, there were, there, there were a variety of options put before the county, but they're all expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to understand in this county park, quote unquote, how you can uh, recoup all the cost. Well, it seems that if you could make a use out of it, or, or let me go the other way. Have they ever done, and I should know this, but I don't. Have they ever done a RFP, a request for proposal to say, all right, we're now going to dump this, um, I'm making this up, for one dollar. But we want to see developers come in with a plan on what they're going to spend to make it something. Have we done that? And there have been a variety of options like that, and there have been a variety of ideas put forth. Every you know, you know, the most frequent, like I say, is some large indoor recreation area. This is one of the biggest buildings in the world that that doesn't have any beams, right? So, uh, but again, I think, like I said, that if you do that, then you've really got to think about Energy Park as a whole. And how do you make that a much more inviting place to go to be uh, uh, to arrive by the train? Because particularly during the rodeo, tons of people come on the train. Oh. And, and I and I just I just think uh, to me thinking about what do you do with the Astrodome as a building without thinking what do you do with Energy Park as a whole is is probably the wrong way to go mm-hmm. about it. I never thought of that. There are no beams in the Astrodome. Yeah, it's just all one big. How the heck do they do that? I don't know. I mean, I'm who, not an engineer. Oh, wait, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a civil imagine, engineer. I don't know. Can you imagine the the weight of the roof? Yeah. They, they had they, to be so proportionally done that's right. to where the circle holds it up. Yeah. I never knew there were no beams in there. Right. I've been in there a zillion times, and I just never paid attention. Well, that is phenomenal. Well, what's the latest? Well, before we go to the latest, I know you have a new director coming. You yes. want to let us know a little bit about Dr. Turley? Yes. Next summer, I'll step down as the director of the Kinder Institute, and the new director will be Dr. Ruth Lopez Turley. She is a, a sociology professor at Rice. She is an, a renowned, nationally renowned researcher on K-12 education. Uh, she runs an entity inside the Kinder Institute called the Houston Education Research Consortium, where she she works collaboratively with HISD and other school districts about doing research to figure out how to improve student performance. One of the things I'm really looking forward to is that Dr. Turley, I think, uh, understands that the root cause of some of these educational problems does not lie in the school or in the classroom, but rather in the community and in the interconnection between uh, uh, between education and other issues such as housing and transportation. So I think the Kinder Institute's really going to take on some of that, those interconnections of all those different issues uh, in a very real way. God, you know, that's really hard, though, when you get into families and you start talking yes. about 
you know, I mean, where do you draw the line between the responsibility of the school district versus right. responsibility well, of the family? Well, let me give you, so just to give you an example, one of the things that Ruth has been doing and her team have been doing is they've been documenting what they call student mobility, which is um, kids moving around during the school year from school to school and sometimes district to district. And the more we looked at that and the more we talked about it, the more we realized, and we talked about what can school districts do, the more we realized it's not really a school school problem that's a that's a housing right. stability and income stability problem right so that that there the school district can kind of figure out how to welcome those kids and 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 help them as much as they can while they're there but the larger issue is beyond is definitely beyond the control of the school district very very interesting do we have a caller there producer maria. i think we have a caller there a uh, miss maria uh miss maria are you there Yes, I'm here. I'm cooking. I'm listening, you guys. It's awesome to talk. Thank you so much for sharing this. Well, wonderful. You have me. This is Gilbert, and you have Mr. Bill Fulton. Well, how are you today, and do you have anything for Mr. Fulton or for me? Well, I have for both of you. Thank you for everything that you do all the time and for the guests. And about the Amsterdam, it's a jewel to our city. I came 30 years ago from Mexico, and it was the place to go and enjoy the shows, rodeos. My kids went to the Disney, oh, you know, night there. My kids are grown now. And just do something beautiful. I know the ideas are awesome, and God is definitely going to perfect the decision for the Amsterdam. Well, amen for that. Well, let me ask you this. If, if you were queen for the day, what would you do, Maria? With the Astrodome. With the Astrodome. Oh, my God. I definitely will bring a lot of people there. <laughs> you know, That's the idea. You know, it's one of the most beautiful. It's like a monument in Houston. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's been there. Bill, how, it's been there since when? 1969. I think it opened in 1965. Very interesting. Well, Maria, it's so nice of you to call. What else do you want to say to Houston right now? Houston, we're strong. We're Hispanic. I'm a Hispanic, so I'm so happy for all the Hispanic people making it up, saying, hey, we can do it. And we Latinos, Hispanics, we do good things also. Well, there's a lot going on all over Houston in all our communities, and it's a beautiful thing. That goes back to the great work of Stephen Kleinberg and all these communities coming together to make yep. this Houston a wonderful city. So, Maria, oh, thank you for calling. Time. Will you call again, please? Absolutely. Thank you, Maria, and we'll see you soon. I'm hugging you in cyberspace. God bless you. Take care. You too. And I know we have another caller there too. Do we have a Miss Eva Laredo? Is this... E the Eva Laredo, the victorious Eva Laredo? Uh, yes, yes, sir, I am. Is this the victorious Eva Laredo, HCC re-elect trustee? Yes, sir, it's me. Thank you, thank <laughs> you to everyone that would have to vote. We did it. Well, yes, we did. I was thinking about you all election day. You have me and Mr. Bill Fulton from the Kinder Institute. What do you want to say to Houston now that... Now that you have gotten through and you were reelected, the people spoke, what's your priority here? What do you want to accomplish in your next term? Did I lose you, Eva? 
I think I lost her. But listeners, I know one thing. The answer would have been a lot. <laughs> right, Bill? If all else. Would have been a lot. It's, it's a lot. Well, this, well that's, that was Eva Laredo. We thank her uh, for her service. Bill, I want to give you sort of some of the last words and the last time here. You know, do you remember the show Carol Burnett? Yeah, sure. Okay, remember at the end of the show, she'd have that song, I'm so glad we had this time yeah, right. together. Definitely. But it was near the end. Well, guess what? That's where we are. Oh, really? Already? Isn't it unbelievable. And that's how you know that we had a good time because yeah, you don't time even, flew. You don't even think that you the don't time even went know. By. But I want to give you plenty of time to talk. Well, I think we do have Eva. Eva, is that you? Eva's back. Eva's back. Well, yes, yes. I think I went through some kind of zone here. No worries. I want to give but, you a quick minute here before we sign up, which is what do you hope to do here in your next term? I want to make sure that the students are aware of all the programs that we have and bring them in. we got to bring them in. And Thursday, we have graduation, and we're going to have over a 1,000 students receive their degrees and their certificates. So we're proud of you, and thank you, thank you to the community, HCC, for being there for me and uh, and just voting. So thank you, Gilbert. Real it quick, of, of those 1,000 grads, how many of those are, are children of color? How many are people of color are African-American and Latino, would you say? Do you know? Do you have a sense? I would say at least 60 percent or more. Wow, there you go. You yes. know, HCC is doing the Lord's work to change lives in this town. Uh, Eva Laredo, our newly elected, uh, re-elected HCC trustee. Thank you, Eva, for being on the call. Thank you, and God bless all. And Thank you. And to you, um, Bill Fulton. I want to give you the last word here. Of what do you want to say to Houston? How do you feel about your last 10, 11 years here? And have you accomplished everything you wanted? I'm sure you, even in your life you're thinking, golly, it flew. I mean, well, it, it has flown. It feels like I moved here yesterday. Uh, I would say two things. One is uh, um, one, of the, one of my goals coming in at Rice was to expand the Kinder Institute to be more than just Dr. Kleinberg's survey, which, of course, is as you say, vital to the community. And I think what we have done is shown that Rice can do research and can do analysis and can help people uh, make better make better and more informed decisions about, about how to proceed and to be really engaged in the community and in the life of the community. You know, um, uh, there's another change going on at Rice you may have heard of. David yes. Lebron stepping down, Reggie DeRoche is stepping up as president, um, which, is, you know, Reggie is a, is a terrific addition to Rice. Um, uh, but one of the things that President Lebron really committed himself to was for Rice to be more a part of the community, as we say on campus, come out from behind the hedges. And I think the Kinder Institute has been able to help Rice do that and bring the, uh, the skill and the resources and the knowledge of Rice to Houston as a city and as a community to make it better and to help people. And, that, that's, that, and that's a huge accomplishment that I'm very proud of. Well, you're doing the Lord's work, and we are grateful to you. Mr. Producer, let's hit that song. You're going to hear the king, the original king, Nat King Cole, Houston. And I want to thank Mr. Bill Fulton. Those of you who are in Facebook, cyberspace, everything else, when we sign off on the radio, we'll have a few more minutes with Mr. Fulton. And again, this song, Bill, you might know. Actually, you did know because you would mentioned to me was written by Mr. Mel Torme and Bill, Bob Wells, and they were in California. It was hot as can be, and they jotted some notes down. Turn up a tad there, Mr. Producer. And they um, 
just wrote a few words because they were thinking about cooler times. And then all of a sudden came this incredible masterpiece. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe. Help to make the season. 35 minutes. They wrote it 30 after they had the original line or two. They wrote the song together in 35 minutes. Can you imagine having that in your head or your spirit to be able to put these glorious words down? But of course, Nat King Cole brought him to life. They know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is gonna spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. And so I'm offering this simple phrase to kids from one to ninety-two. It's been said many times, many ways. Merry Christmas to you. I just love that song, Bill. I don't know. There's something about it. I just love it. So I think we're now off the radio. Is that right, Mr. Producer? But we're going to sign off here momentarily on Facebook and Spotify and everything else we got. We have Mr. Bill Fulton, of course, from the Kinder Institute, Rice Kinder Institute. And of course, I'm Gilbert Garcia. Talk inspiration and prayer. That's a tip from me. And again, you can always call in every Monday from 11 to 1145 on 832-570-8075 or write me at a tip from Gilbert at gmail.com. We're on KWWJ 1360 AM 96.9 FM. That's Keep Walking with Jesus. Let me just say to you, Bill, the last uh, subject matter I'd like to say, which is what would you say to um, Dr. Turley? I mean, what's the next step for the Institute? What's, what's the next big thing? I think We've done a really good job of identifying what many of the urban issues and problems are in Houston. And where Ruth is going to be really good is taking that to the next step, next step and saying, okay, what are the solutions? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do we have to do as a community to, to get better? And, and she's done this very well in the school, in the, in the education environment, and I'm really looking forward to having her do that. Uh, in the in the broader environment, because as I say, researchers often get hung up on, oh, what an interesting problem. Let's study it, mm-hmm. rather than moving on to how do we fix it. 
Right. And I think identifying the problem is really just sort of halfway because the other half is, right. what do you do? Because if you don't do anything, it doesn't matter if you know what the problem is. That's right. Well, I want to give you the last word. What do you want to say to Houston, and what do you want to say to the Rice uh, Kinder Institute here as you're on the eve of your last six months as director, more or less, and I'm sure you know you have fond, fond memories of all the work that you've done? I want to give you the last words here. Well, I just want to say thanks to the people of Houston. You know, I came here uh, seven years ago having lived most of my adult life in Southern California. Very little interaction with Houston during that time. I'd been here a few times. I'd done a couple of work projects here over the years. Uh, but it, the people of Houston and the leaders of Houston really embraced me and embraced the idea of what I had come to the Kinder Institute to do to help the city. And I'm very grateful, and I just want to say thank you to the people of Houston. Well, we thank you. The Kinder Institute does so much good stuff. So... Um, Let's, I, I'm sure Dr. Turley will keep it going, as they say, and, and keep it moving, but I hope you don't go too far. All right. Thank you. And Houston, thank you. You got a tip from me. We'll see you next week, and we'll see you there. This is Gilbert Andrew Garcia. Join me on my new radio show, A Tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer every Monday from 11 to 11.45 at 96.9 FM, 1360 AM, KWWJ. Or you can call in at 832-570-8075. Write me at a tip from Gilbert at gmail.com. See you then.